All right, we're back for another episode of The Remo Show. Uh, today, we're going to jump into migration trends, who is leaving and coming to BC. Uh, we've seen uh, a lot of back and forth this year, especially uh, last year in 2023. So we're going to jump into some stats. Who are the, the departing crowd? Who are the newcomers? And really just the impact that this is having on real estate and mortgage financing in general. So um, today, you're going to notice we're uh, back with Tyler Derek and myself, and then a new member, Joshua Rezvik, who is uh, one of the lead mortgage advisors with Thrive Mortgage. Um, he's going to be joining us on the show, and he's going to be joining us for a lot more shows going forward. So um, yeah, looking forward to jumping into this, and let's get started. So why don't we start off with the departing crowd. Right now, a high cost of living, especially in Vancouver and Victoria, it's becoming very difficult for British Columbians or just anyone living in British Columbia to afford housing. And uh, for that reason, we're seeing people leave. Tyler, maybe uh, we can kind of jump into some of the some of the reasons why. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I mean, we take these calls all the time. Um, I'm sure if you're a realtor listening, you've probably helped people either cash out of BC and and, and really like the lower mainland is sort of the, the, the main kind of target or, or yeah, like the South Island where yeah, shocker. I mean, everyone knows it's pretty expensive to buy real estate here, especially if you want a detached property. So a lot of people, especially young people, are just hitting the eject button. They're just, let's get out of here. Let's go buy a home that might cost us half as much um, and, um, you know, try and build out our life and, and start a family out there, right? So I think it's a lot more young adults that are moving away. We see a lot more of that crowd. Um, like I say, like we've all taken calls of people wanting to do that. Um, and you know, especially depends what industry you're in. Like, I think the work from home movement and like the, the advancement of people being able to work remotely has kind of been able to help support people, especially if they're working sort of tech or office jobs. You know, maybe it's not important that their head office is in Vancouver. They don't need to live in Coquitlam, Langley, Surrey. Maybe it's okay. They can live in Alberta, Airdrie, somewhere, somewhere out, anywhere in Alberta, really. Or, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of uh, kind of, opportunity and development happening in in Alberta like if you paid attention to real estate news in Canada over the last year like you, you kind of saw either housing starts construction or or values kind of flat or really mortgage transactions way down uh, except in one place and that was in and around Calgary where it was just buzzing like like crazy activity um, and we'll talk about values and stuff maybe what that does but you know Calgary was basically flat for like 10 to 12 years like little to no growth, at least not as much as we're used to seeing in the lower mainland. And one of the ways you can tell it's really popping off is they've had crazy growth, right? There's now plenty of homes worth seven figures, million bucks over there. So it's starting to grow. Uh, and really it, it, it was this way to get out of, you know, quote unquote, ex expensive place here and move to a little bit more of an affordable area. Yeah. I mean, a couple of groups of people that come to mind, like just in this topic is people that ha like have never actually been in the real estate market here and they're trying to get in. I think it's, it's just so dramatic. Right. And like, you know, a young family, maybe with a couple of kids, like going into a condo might not even be realistic. And, and like, you're probably paying five, six, $700,000 for a condo, depending on where you are in the lower mainland. So I think there's a big group of people that have just recognized that they can't get into the market locally and that's driven them out. And also people that are, you know, maybe in a strata, maybe in a townhouse and they're looking to upsize and that gap has just been, I mean, the gap has shrunk recently, which is nice to see, but that gap has been so drastic for so long. And, you know, I've, 
over the years, we've definitely talked to people that have just recognized that, you know, I want to have a detached home, like lifestyle for my kids and my family. And it's just not possible here, which is again, pushing people out. So that's that young adult crowd that Tyler and Dean mentioned. And, you know, I think there's also an older crowd that have recognized, you know, and we've done lots of conversations around reverse mortgages and, and there's great opportunity for that here. But I think there's also an older crowd that are just looking at retirement, right? Like someone who's maybe 60 years old and they still owe $300,000 on their mortgage. Like that's a lifelong mortgage, right? Like you're making a payment for the rest of your life. And I think just recognizing that you can cash out here, downsize and, you know, go to somewhere cheaper. It's, it's, there's a lot of opportunity there and massive, massive uptick to Alberta for all the reasons that Tyler just mentioned. I think there's a big uptick after COVID with uh, employers allowing employees to work remotely. So even if you're looking to make the move from, you know, BC to another province, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're changing jobs, having to change industries or employers, anything in that nature. Um, if you're able to get a employment letter that states that the employer allows you to work remotely, you can stay in your current uh, situation and still qualify just like you would be trying to purchase a home in BC, but you're obviously uh, going out of province. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, we saw a lot of, we, I, we saw a huge exodus just from the lower mainland over to the island in the earlier days of COVID and, and this whole new shift towards remote work. Um, and it's funny, like that exodus just, it not, didn't necessarily leave the province of BC. It went to the, like, these other communities like Nanaimo, like uh, the interior of, of BC. And now those prices popped off like crazy. And, you know, we went from, you know, a single family home being well under a million dollars to single family homes being above a million dollars in, in parts like Nanaimo and Victoria, Kelowna, West Kelowna, all these interior towns. Like it was, and then, then it became that those towns weren't affordable. And that's why, you know, in the last 12 months, the trend has been ultimately people leaving um, BC, which is crazy to think. But, you know, with everything, with, with everything said there, we'll jump in later on in the episode, just how that is impacting parts of the market. Um, but just maybe before we move on to like the newcomers, who's actually coming to BC, is there anything else you guys want to add on just the departing crowd? Yeah. What's that song? You know, that Alberta bound? Paul Brandt. <laughs> yeah, you, know you want to sing it? No. Uh, there's an interesting stat here, though, from StatsCan. This is from July 2022 to June 2023, so roughly a year. Roughly 37,000 British Columbian residents moved to Alberta, which is a pretty significant number. That is that is shocking, right? And it goes to your point, Tyler, just about how that was the one market that just has been buzzing through this whole this whole last 12 months, 18 months of, you know, being a pretty challenging real estate market to say the least for, you know, anyone in the real estate industry would, would, would understand that. Um, that just proves that point, right? Like that's, that's ultimately where they're going. And maybe one of the big reasons why I see young adults making that move is, well, one, like you can get a house for literally half the price. It's probably brand new and they're making more money there. Like the trades and, you know, different industries are actually paying young adults more. Yeah, yeah and, and like this is like doesn't need to turn into a slag BC lower mainland episode but um like there's less tax too right and I think it's just the whole um Canadian dream right let's like that a lot of our parents and all that had like you go to you know you're not you, in reality like it's pretty tough to go buy a detached house if you're an assistant manager at an auto body shop in the lower mainland right like it, it, it's just kind of unrealistic unless you're getting a massive down payment gift from your family so it, it's just the reality. It is what it is. Um, that being said, like obviously a lot of people move to Alberta, but we're seeing a lot of people obviously move back towards uh, BC as well. And, and maybe we can start hitting on that point and 
I'll just say one word and that's winter. You know, <laughs> that's when I, and you talk to a lot of people like transplants that have moved out here. I mean, I'm working with right now from Ontario and they just said, yeah, we came here. Like you hear it all the time. Um, we came here for whatever, one year, six months, wanted to try it out and we decided we're never going to leave. Right. So, um, maybe we can start pumping BC's tires cause we just kind of ragged on it pretty good. Well, I mean, it's, it's just a, I believe it's the most beautiful place in the country by far you just mentioned it winter we were just in toronto last week it's freezing cold there uh, I mean, <laughs> it was minus 20 i was very very cold um even coming from you know a time like we don't get a lot of cold weather here but when we do it's like you know one degree and we start freaking out and they close our schools because there's a little bit of ice on the ground um which i mean there, there's challenges there but at just at that that alone it's it's i mean it's one of the most beautiful places in the world Agreed. I'm here. I don't plan to leave. So yeah, it, it, what else can you say? Right? Like the, I think for people moving within Canada, the reasons are pretty obvious just from a pure, you know, natural landscape, uh, perspective, we've got ocean mountains, lakes, you know, everything that you could kind of want, especially if you're even remotely outdoorsy. Right. And, um, obviously with a lot of people still wanting to come here and stay here, that, that creates that, you know, opportunity for people too. I mean, the economy here locally is always, always seems to chug along. There always seems to be opportunity. I mean, we, this is more, more local immigration podcast, but, um, if you look at even foreigners, they're going to end up in two place, two places for the most part. And it's going to be Toronto and Vancouver. Obviously Toronto is just like the, the financial central hub of the country and Vancouver is just kind of the nicest spot. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we talked about the challenges of affordability here, but we also have to consider that if you can find a way to get into the market, um, it can change your life, right? Like we've seen people over the course of the last 10 years make a million dollars in real estate, like you're not, unfortunately, you're not going to get that currently in Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, like it's just not a thing, right? So there's also the, the flip side to that, if you can, if you can find a way to push through and make it work, and yeah, the payments are going to be higher, because it's expensive, it can also be a massive game changer right and and you know maybe in the future you do end up leaving and, and cashing out on the property that you bought right so that opportunity is not available in, in a lot of other locations in Canada yeah I think Derek makes a great point <clears throat> especially during COVID I mean you'd see people come in purchase a property and you know within three or four months they're looking to get another appraisal see the uptick in the value, property value and then pull out that equity to make a move on uh, starting an investment portfolio. So in other provinces, I don't know if you'd necessarily see the same property increase and the ability to pull out that equity and make some moves with that money, purchasing rental properties, uh, vacation homes, etc. Yeah, it's a great point. I mean, like we've seen people just grow their portfolio significantly with that uh, uptick in appreciation and, and whatnot. No, maybe not so much in the last, you know, 12, 18 months, but, you know, going forward where we see, you know, interest rates ultimately coming down this year. Typically what we see in, in these types of markets is when rates go down, property values go up. So, we're, we, you know, we may be in this little window in BC where it could be a great opportunity to buy, uh, especially if you're looking from an investment perspective, there could be a potential boom and appreciation coming again um you know just back to like some of the some of the reasons why you know people are coming to bc is it, it, it is a strong economy and it is a pretty strong job market um you know it, it, just a running joke i spend i used to spend a lot of time at a at a, a private club down in vancouver the vancouver club and it was, the running joke was like what do you do for work and it was literally finance real estate or mining like that was like what they did for work um and you know that that just goes to show you like there is really strong jobs for the skilled for the skilled um 
trades or the skilled, uh, you know, w working force, um, there is a strong, strong job market for that. And maybe we could just touch on something that was pretty interesting that caught my eye was just this provincial nominee program. Um, this is bringing a lot of migrants and immigrants to BC and just the, what that essentially is, is, uh, well, more so from an immigration perspective, but, you know, skilled workers that, and maybe have you know recent skills or recent graduates experience and qualifications needed for bc employers are getting a fast track to immigration um, even entrepreneurs there's an entrepreneurial um, immigration program so for experienced entrepreneurs who intend to create and actively manage a business in the province are also being fast tracked from an immigration standpoint so obviously just looking to support um, areas that we need we need working force right like uh, with people leaving especially Canadians that, you know, or British Columbians that were raised here, we are potentially losing skilled, you know, working force, right? So it, it's kind of interesting to see that programs like this are out there, which are, you know, I didn't even know existed, to be totally honest. Say what you want about immigration. Obviously, it's been a big kind of, you know, news story for the last kind of year. Um, but this program, I think, to me, makes a lot of sense, right? Like, and especially when we're talking about, you know, people moving to Alberta, like a lot of that, at least in my opinion, from people I've talked to, it's a lot of blue collar people, right? People with trades, uh, skilled trades that are going there to work and live in a, you know, a, a cheaper area, right? Obviously with those people leaving, we're going to have a deficit of, and, and look, if you've listening and you've ever tried to renovate your home or get any work done on your property, like it can be a nightmare because there's just, there, there's such a lack of available, available skilled trades. Um, you know, I think about my generation, you know, born late eighties, all of my friends went to university, right? So many of them did. Everyone wanted that office gig. Like I'm still an office jockey now. Not a lot of them went into trades and, and, um, you know, bringing those trades back in, uh, is going to help because we just, you always read how tight the labor market is, how hard it is to find skilled trades, how much they're demanding. Like if you're a young person today, like getting a ticket is a pretty good way to print money basically, right? Like, I mean, I know you guys have both gone through renovations, like it costs you an arm and a leg just to get, you know, a wall taken down. Yeah. I mean, I mean, not to, we, we have some great contractors that help build the office that we're sitting in right now, but we're looking to do a renovation and they haven't provided us a quote in three weeks because they're so busy to even just provide us a quote. So it's a great point. Yeah. I mean, I think this all just ties back into the, the lack of housing, right? Like we have a massive supply and demand issue. And if you're gonna try to ramp up housing, you need more contractors, you need more trades. And yeah, I think it's just at the end of the day, like this this housing shortage is gonna be a constant issue. Well, that's a good point. It's a good segue into like just the impact on real estate and mortgage financing in general. So why don't we just kind of roll into that? Um, yeah, Joshua, maybe just touch on just some of the, how the migration is, well, it's significantly impacting the, you know, the various types of housing and, and, um, you know, just ultimately the demand to, to Derek's point. Yeah, I think there's a big demand, especially with the migration and the first time home buyers, they're going after typically the condos, the apartments. So there is a demand, you know, not only for people looking to get into the market and purchase, but people that already own these properties and are looking to, you know, have tenants in there, there's going to be a high demand across the board. So for people that are getting in, looking to get into the investment market via real estate, um, you know, the, the rent isn't cheap and it's something that can offset the mortgage, allow you to qualify for, you know, a significantly larger portion because of that rental income. 
And, uh, you know, regardless of where you're looking, especially in BC, I don't think there's a lack of tenants. You're, you're pretty easily finding people that are looking to pay the money to live in these homes. Yeah. And if we just think of like the departing crowd, like, you know, it probably is largely those younger Canadians that are maybe just ultimately don't want to live in a condo, just it's just not affordable. So maybe that's not so much impacting inventory other than it's just less people maybe buying in BC, you can hope. Um, but when we think of like the retirees leaving, you would assume that, you know, those retirees are probably coming out of single family homes. So we're hopeful that, you know, maybe that increases inventory from that perspective. But um, yeah, I mean, Tyler, where would you kind of take it from there? Like, often, I would assume it the, the, the increased migration is going to lead to just housing prices going up, right? For, for sure, right? It's just simple economics, supply and demand, right? Like it, 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 Obviously, like real estate was pretty sluggish last year. A lot of that was probably due to interest rates and people kind of stepping off, you know, taking their foot off the gas pedal. But when you literally import, you know, a million people a year into your country and yeah, like a lot left BC, say 30,000 or so, but you know, this just the sheer volume of amount of people coming in. I mean, it, like there's, like I say, it's just supply and demand, right? The people that arrive here, they're probably not buying any right away. So what do they have to do? They got to rent homes. So what does that mean? If we're not, we don't have enough homes to house everybody now, it's just, it's just going to jack up the price of rents, which, which we do see. So obviously there's opportunity in that. If you're an investor, you want to be an investor. Uh, I was reading uh, recently that like CMHC came out with a report that basically said we need to build somewhere between five and 600,000 homes a year over the next six years just to be able to comfortably house all the new immigration we've brought in. And I think the best year of home building Canada's ever had has been like under 300,000 completions. So, I mean, what does that, what does that, what does that tell you? Right? Like, I mean, predictions are, are, it's a tough business, but if you're just looking, if I'm just looking at simple supply and demand, you know, there's no way, I, I mean, I certainly believe, especially in this part of the part of the world in the lower mainland, like values will go up, right? Like one of the reasons why Alberta is so affordable is because it's just land. Everywhere you go, it's just flat, it's land, right? In in Vancouver, we have geographical restrictions. You've got ocean to the west, you've got a border to the south, you've got mountains to the north, and a whole bunch of protected farmland out into the valley, right? So if you own land and you're importing all these people and we can't build enough to house them, what is that going to do to the prices of your of your of your land, a and then for the people trying to rent, probably going to go yeah. up. And I mean, that's probably a good transition to talk about this new legislation, which is Bill Forty Four, which is essentially supposed to be covering all of British Columbia uh, and increasing density drastically. And like my opinion on that, I think I can't imagine a lot of people that own existing properties are going to go spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to build one, two, three suites in their home. Like I just don't think that the cost of doing that makes a lot of sense. So that just tells me that this is going to be tied into new development and new subdivisions where you're going to have very, very localized areas of these homes that have, you know, maybe fourplex fives up to six, which is then going to create massive issues. As we all know, infrastructure, parking, you know, sewage schools, you name it, it there's going to be issues there. So I personally think that this will be a temporary solution, but to your point, like there's only so much land, there's only so much you can do. You can't keep up with housing. So when you think about the concept of what they've done, it does make sense. These houses are still being built. So how do you, how do you just make that more efficient and create more housing inside of that one structure, which is exactly what they've done. So, but even that is now going to increase, you know, land costs because there's a higher ROI. Yeah. I mean, what this all tells me, which is unfortunate not to be negative, but the migration almost has like 
little to no impact on what's going on here because there's just so much immigration to, to hear the housing stat like that. I mean, we're just, <laughs> I don't want to sound like the angry mortgage broker here, but, uh, it's clearly a, a pretty big problem. Right. So, I mean, maybe we could just jump into like, so what are some common sense, like suggestions here? I mean, not that the government's probably listening to us or this episode by any means, but, um, you know, maybe just jumping into some of that, like lenders clearly need to adapt. Government obviously needs to adapt to some of this stuff. I mean, bill 44 is a great solution to me. That sounds like a great solution. Hopefully that works. I know there's a lot of people against that, especially in those communities that it impacts because it's going to bring, you know, parking issues, a lot more people in those areas, you name it, right? School schools are going to be loaded with more, that many more, um, kids and whatnot. So obviously that's going to bring other issues. I understand why people would be opposed to that, but you know, at least it's, at least it's a government thinking about a solution. Yeah. Like let's, let's try and be positive. Like they're, they're, they're trying, right? Like there's the first home savings account, which is a great account for anybody that's young trying to, to buy. I mean, we've got a couple different, um, membership organizations in the mortgage world that I'm, I know they're always trying to lobby the government. Like one idea that, you know, I think we're always trying to pitch to them that I think does make some sense is, um, for a first time home buyer, you know, a lot of times they're buying with less than 20% down, which means you're getting a CMHC insured mortgage is trying to push some sort of regulation forward where if they are a true blue first time home buyer, maybe you allow their amortization to go to 30 years just for that particular transaction. So they can maybe qualify for a little bit more. I mean, it, it's kind of solving the issue with, with debt really. It just means you're, you're borrowing more than you otherwise couldn't, but you know, for people that can't afford it, that maybe just don't have the down payment saved, which in a lot of cases, that is the, that is the, the biggest challenge, right? Like even like dual income, you know, well-established in, in their career borrowers, it takes a lot to save the amount that you need to just to put down on the home you want to live. So maybe for that type of borrower is the only thing I can really think of, you know, maybe allowing that first time buyer to, to stretch their amortization just to kind of purchase in the, in the bracket they want to. Yeah, I like that. I mean, we've seen a ton of family support, like we joke about all the time, but the bank of mom and dad, and that, that continues to happen. Anyone that's lived in the lower mainland for the duration of their life has made a pile of money on real estate if they've owned real estate. And, you know, I think just <clears throat> for the sake of getting into the market as soon as possible, I think like the sooner the better, you know, like it's 25, 30 year mortgage, it takes a long time to build that up. But the sooner you get in, the sooner you're going to see that appreciation, which you can then turn into, you know, future properties. And Right now, affordability is very challenging. We're talking like five, six percent interest rates, right? If, if we can get back into a, a reasonable range of, you know, three percent, it, it makes a drastic, drastic change on payment. Things do become a lot more affordable. And, you know, I think just for, for you know, younger people trying to get into the market, you got to keep your consumer debt down. Like everyone wants a shiny car, but like that thousand dollar mortgage payment or car payment, you know, that works out to, you know, a couple hundred thousand of mortgage financing. So I think just being smart with your finances is, is something that's an absolute requirement to get into the market locally here. Yeah. And I think give it up boomers. Like, yeah, I think early inheritances are probably going to like, I, I'm fully like, I've got, you know, all of us here have young children, right? Like I'm fully mentally preparing that like, yeah, I'm going to have to gift my child a good chunk of money already starting to prepare for that, you know, for, for her and uh, to get into the mount, to get into the market. Right. And, you know, it, it, you kind of sound like the, you know, greedy, spoiled child going to your parents and say, hey, like, you want me in your basement forever? Like, you know, and early because I mean, 
when you think about it, it does make sense, right? You might be well into your fifties and sixties when your parents pass away. And it's just like, well, like, boy, that like inheritance I was going to receive is, would, would really have helped me out when I was in my late twenties, early thirties. Um, so I, I just say that to say like, to your point, Derek, like I, I think, yeah, give it up boomers, like help us out here. I think being open with your family too, when you're going through the purchasing process, I mean, not everyone wants to expose your credit situation to mom and dad, but you know, not everyone's parents are able to gift a hundred and two hundred thousand dollars. But what does go a long way is if you've got, you know, fifteen to twenty five thousand dollars of credit card debt that you can't afford to pay off because that money's being directed to a down payment. If parents can help you with that, that really makes qualifying uh, a lot easier once you're able to remove and eliminate that debt. And uh, you know, you're not necessarily asking mom and dad for a hundred or two hundred thousand, but if you're in a position that you can ask them for maybe fifteen thousand to at least lower what your debt situation is it's going to go a long way in helping you qualify one of the suggestions i'll just kind of end off with is just that that generational living situation where you're buying um maybe with your mom and dad or buying with say you know your your one of your siblings and, and you know two couples are essentially buying a home together and living on the property together and and almost making it their own um functional property where you know there's maybe there's multiple suites or just somehow finding a way to ultimately live in that property together as two families that has obviously picked up a lot of traction just given that it really does now we have four people qualifying for a mortgage opposed to two or one and so that makes a big difference and you know maybe just a suggestion and something we're we're getting requests requested a lot for is like the, the ability to maybe split those mortgages up and actually track those mortgages as as two separate mortgages that could maybe encourage people to want to do that more sometimes it's difficult um depending on the lender this is usually typically lender driven is you know it's one mortgage it's one account that's what it is where you know if a, if a, if a lender was more willing to say, hey, you know, you know, mom and dad are taking, you know, let's say $250,000 mortgage and they'll be able to track it and log into their own portal and have their own mortgage financing tracked that way. And then maybe the, you know, son and daughter or, or whatever, son and his wife are taking the the um, the other portion for whatever it is for whatever they want to uh, finance. They can actually track that. That could just encourage people to make it more easy to actually get into these situations, even though we're already seeing, you know, quite an uptick in that. So just finding a way to just make it more attractable attractive sorry um to actually do that yeah and you can kind of get something similar to that now it's not as detailed and i like what you're suggesting but um i mean if i was to buy with with my folks it's exactly how i'd like to chop it up right like this section's mine this section's yours um you know we've, we've done a lot of podcasts on that before i mean the biggest misconception is you know parents gifting to maybe move in with their parents think oh no i'm just going to provide the down payment you know, you take the mortgage, everyone ends up on the, the mortgage and property together. But in those situations where, yeah, like we're each going to be borrowing, you know, our own amount, it'd be great to have that sectioned off so that you could actually see what you're paying into. Yeah, I guess just last piece for me, like a lot of you think about multi-generational, you know, family, parents, whatever, like you could buy a property with your buddy if you can't afford it on your own, right? Like you could just do whatever you can to get into the market. Cause like I said, eventually it will, it'll start to pay off and you know, you split at some point, but um, you got to kind of join forces sometimes to make it work. So just to wrap up, like one kind of new segment that we launched this year was just some listener interaction and trying to address any questions or, or any feedback that people have. So one question I'll touch, I'll touch on. It's a, it's certainly off topic from, from this show, but um, 
you know, a business for self, somebody that's, you know, just recently started a business is asking a question. Um, I've been in business for eight months. Can I buy a home? Maybe one of us can just take that away. Typically, lenders want to see a self-employed individual with individuals with two years of history. Um, that way, they can see the broad aspect of how much you've been earning over the last two years. They're typically going to take an average of that. Um, on an exceptional basis, some lenders will allow less than two years. That said, uh, for self-employed individuals, typically speaking, they're going to want to see at least two years history um, in order to dictate and have you know an estimate on how much you're earning for these years. In addition to that, though, there's obviously alternatives. That's going to be you know proceeding with your tip typical big banks and A lenders. Um, with that, there's obviously ample B lenders or alternative lending. They'll look at bank statements. So essentially, they're going to request anywhere from three to six months of bank statements. They're going to see what deposits are going in, what's coming out expense-wise, and they're going to annualize your income that way. So you're not necessarily you know, limited and unable to purchase for a year and a half. There are options that are available to you. It's just a matter of diving into those bank statements and seeing what kind of activity, business activity, and income that you're generating. Yeah, good explanation. I mean, just in short, there are options for people that are as short as six months into business, right? It's just you are going to be paying a bit of a premium. There's a fee. You got to have 20% down. It's through alternative lending. But, you know, don't let that shy you away from doing this. A lot of times the cost of waiting can be a hell of a lot more expensive um, than a bit of a premium on a rate and a fee, right? If you had to wait two years to buy that property, as an example. Totally. Good question. I mean, you got, we all got a lot to say there. So maybe that's another episode for, for the future, but that, yeah, great question there. So maybe just to recap, um, great episode in general. I think, um, you know, when some of these topics come in, we're kind of wondering like, Hey, how can we make a full episode on this? But this one went a lot deeper and longer than I expected. So just to summarize, I mean, the departing crowd, you know, the young adults, that just can't afford to live here. The affordability issues in BC, we touched on all that. Maybe some of the retirees like looking to leave for, for more affordable destinations. The newcomers um, just, yeah, living in the most beautiful place in the country. Um, we're not the center of the universe, but we're the most beautiful. Uh, and just touching on some of that and just the people that are coming here, the provincial programs and whatnot, and the impact that we're seeing on the real estate market in general, just because of this and immigration in general. So um, yeah, thanks for listening. Obviously, if you're if you are enjoying this, we do really, really encourage you to subscribe. It really helps us, especially your feedback. These questions, um, these topics, this is what's driving this show. So please continue to to support us there. Give us a five star review if you think we're worth it. Um, obviously, if we think we deserve it, we we really want those five star reviews. So give us those, please. And uh, yeah, looking forward to the next one. Thank you.